Welcome everybody to another episode of the Nerd Continuity where we talk about development, design and all other crazy sort of stuff that we find online. Today is the episode 22 and the title of the episode and the main topic of this episode is how to deal with tough clients. Everyone had tough clients, probably you're having a really tough client right now and you're struggling to find a solution or whatever crazy request they could have. So hopefully uh, during the main topic of this episode, I will explain you or like I will tell you uh, my personal experience with tough clients, um, a couple of examples of like a success uh, interaction with a, with a tough client or um, not really successful or happy ending with a tough client, but uh, we will get to the point later in the episode. Today we're having also a bunch of topics, a bunch of news and updates about development, especially from like a coding point of view, like a strict coding point of view. And these topics are really interesting, in my opinion, hopefully also for you that you're listening to this crazy episode um, about WordPress, about a bunch of core uh, methodology of WordPress that some developers like and some developers hate and uh, a small argument or like a small internet outrage that happened in the PHP community about the PHP visual, visual depth. So let's see if it's gonna be a good or terrible episode on the nerd continuity. As usual, my name is Alex, Alessandro, Alecad, whatever you want to call me, and I'm your host, the creator of this wonderful and terrible podcast, and I'm a nerd, as the title of the podcast podcast says and if you want to talk directly to me or you want to send me hate emails or you want to just like blast terrible messages to my personal stuff you can do it in my forum i just recently opened a forum based on flarum that is an open source platform built pretty much uh, through composer packages and it's just amazing i was able to set it up and launch it in a couple of days it was just just amazing, just so good. Uh, you can reach me at forum.alecad with 3D, so alecad.com. You can sign up for free and ask all your questions. And there are a couple of users that are really active and uh, the community is growing. So I suggest you to check it and uh, write me your questions or answer questions. Maybe you can help other users that are there looking for help. So please join the community. We're going to have a beautiful conversation because we are all adults and we know how to talk on the internet. Uh, we're not trolls, I hope. But let's get started. Let's start this uh, episode that it's already going off the rail. So the first news of this week is about WordPress 4.8. That is the new version of WordPress that it's pretty much coming in a week or so because they recently released version 4.8 release candidate one. And when it comes to um, rolling release, a release candidate, it's pretty much the uh, most recent version of the latest version before the final version, before the actual release of the final version. Sometimes if some extra bugs or some extra uh, issue get discovered during the release candidate testing, we will have some release candidate version one, release candidate version two. I think in the history of WordPress, we just got up to three release candidates just because it was a really particular um, release, but usually when we have a release candidate number one, then after that, um, nothing crazy comes out. So we're going to have the final version. And in this new version of WordPress, the 4.8, we got a lot of improvements from uh, both a development point of view and both from a, a user point of view. So a lot of new stuff. Let's take a look. First, from a development point of view, we have this uh, slow transition that it keeps happening through the customizer. Um, if you noticed in the, I don't know, I'm, I'm not really sure about the time, but the settings API uh, are not being developed anymore as much as they were before because probably they're kind of crazy and it's super hard to maintain that craziness of that code. If you never use the settings API, the settings API is that portion of code of the core WordPress functionalities that give you the ability, that gives you the ability to create custom sections in your administration panel. So every time uh, you 
activate a plugin or you activate a new theme, you have that small icon in the sidebar that is an extra icon maybe with the name of the plugin or the theme and inside you have all these panels and settings and buttons to customize your experience. To create those custom sections, you need to use the Settings API. The Settings API have been around since, since version 2.7, I guess, I'm not 100% sure, but are really, really old. Like, for years we had this Settings API, and it's really cumbersome to use them. I don't know if you had experience with it, but it's it's kind of like huge shenanigans going there, and uh, it's... Yeah, it's really hard. Most of the times you use, you end up using plugins to activate section because if you can build an automated system to manage those settings APIs, you're, you're good to go. But if every time you have to create something from scratch, it can get really convoluted, especially if you have a pretty big administration section. Um, if you take a look or if you ever followed my sunset theme tutorials to build a premium theme for WordPress, you will notice that the section about the administration panel was really terrible. Not because I recorded it wrong or like it was hard to follow or probably it was hard to follow, but because just adding a simple custom admin page with five or six custom options that were all pretty much text areas and checkboxes and inputs was really, really hard. Like, not because it was difficult to code, but because to create those small sections, you need a lot of code. You need a lot of methodologies and a lot of calling, another, calling a lot of hooks and actions, and it was was pretty terrible. So um, WordPress is moving towards the customizer API. Customizer API are way better. Uh, it's way easier to use them, are built with an object-oriented programming logic, and it takes, I don't know, 10% of the code that you need for the settings API to do the same things with the customizer API. So um, we have more improvements to that in the new version of WordPress. We're going to have a better preview of the customizer panel in the administration area. It will proportionally resize on larger screen. It was already introduced the ability to simulate a responsive environment through like three different buttons to have like a tablet or a mobile resolution. Now, larger desktops are improved as well. Uh, it's, it's easier to see that. And overall, other bunch of implementations from that point of view. Uh, for developers still, we're gonna have, or we're gonna see, we're seeing a slow transitions to remove um, the name category to pretty much every methods, every functions. If you remember before you were able to use a method or well, still today, not just before, but you're, you're able to call a method called get category or get category parents or um, get the category list and all these kind of methods that they have the category name inside the name of the method. WordPress is uh, moving towards a taxonomy agnostic version. That means that you could have like categories a taxonomy. So why your method, it's called get category. If you don't want a category, if your taxonomy is called lists or people or cars, why you have to call categories. So the call or like the method to call should be get the term list or get the term parents list. In this case, the new implementation, the new function that was implemented in news in this new version of WordPress. Um, these it's better from like a coding point of view because you a taxonomy is a term so you can return whatever term and not be bounded to a specific name of a taxonomy like in this case the category and i think it's a good step in the right direction it's gonna help us to code uh, better like not get confused as much as possible the thing is that most of the times these new methods and functions from wordpress are wrappers around old methods so the get term parents list most likely will be a wrapper around the get category parents that will return pretty much the same so you can still use both and the previous one will not be deprecated, at least for many, many years in the future, but probably will, will 
I don't know when, but yeah, that's the thing about WordPress. It maintains always the backward compatibility uh, down to version three or something like really, really old versions. And, and there are other updates from still a development point of view. You have more options in the admin panel. Some code was uh, fixed that were like a lot of bug fixing as usual, like in every release. And it's pretty good from a front end point of view, you, have more uh, control or more functionalities from a widget perspective like you have more default widget i don't know i don't know if you noticed but in the recent versions of wordpress we're having more and more default widgets it looks like sooner or later in the future we will not need any more custom plugins to activate some specific widgets because in this new version, we're gonna have some pretty sweet implementation for the widget. So we will have a widget text area with the visual editor in it. We can finally write um, bold, italic, use links and not writing raw HTML. You can use a visual editor like the default WYSIWYG text editor of WordPress. You can also have a widget with images. So you can upload an image and use the one in your front end like before, or you were coding a widget by yourself or you were going to install a custom plugin for it. And then we're gonna have like video widgets where you can uh, implement a YouTube URL or a Vimeo URL on another service like a, a video URL and that video will be embedded in your website without you, um, without the necessity of actually uploading the video to your website and that's pretty good, it's pretty helpful because like pretty much every um, tutorials out there or like every article suggests to not upload videos directly in your server because it gets really heavy, like it's really resource demanding having a video streaming from your server if you don't have a powerful server. So using a third party uh, application, third party website, it's pretty good. YouTube is one of like the most obvious. So having the ability default by default in WordPress to input a URL and getting the video rendered. It's amazing. It's pretty good. Finally, it's happening. And that's it. Other like more implementation for the news and events dashboard widget and all this kind of stuff. So you can see like it's not a big release. It's not like the version 4.5 or like the version 4 compared to version 3 that is we're gonna have all these mind-blowing changes, but version 4.8, it's a good step in the right direction. WordPress is getting more and more customizable and more and more editable through the customizer API. They're uh, resolving these um, term like methods name issues that are related or too strictly related to a specific aspect of the software instead of having like broad methods to call for every uh, custom section that you could create. And they're implementing some default widgets and default uh, behavior of WordPress that are pretty standard. Pretty much every user needs to use into WordPress and it's forced to use a plugin. And going with less plugin, it's, it's a really good thing. <laughs> like, too many plugins is not a good thing, especially with like safety concern or like speed and performance issues and stuff like that. But yeah, WordPress 4.8 is gonna be released pretty soon, probably in a week after this podcast. And let me know if you tested it. Let me know if you think about it. Um, it's gonna be pretty good and hopefully it won't break anything or, or any previews. Um, installation or any previous theme or plugins, but we'll see what's gonna happen. Is any of you on the WordPress beta tester program? Let me know in the comments below. The next topic of this episode of the Nerd Continuity, it's a topic that was brought up by one of you guys, but one of the, the, the followers on my YouTube channel. Um, this guy, I don't remember his name, that was, oh damn. I should, I should actually write that down, but I don't remember. Sorry, man. Like if you recognize that I'm talking about this topic, it's because of you. So thank you. Sorry if I don't remember your name, but the question was like, uh, I need to use, um, this user needed to use Bootstrap 4 that relies on jQuery, the latest version of jQuery. Uh, without that, Bootstrap 4 cannot work. 
and uh, WordPress by default has a built-in version of jQuery that most of the times, 99% of the time, it is outdated. It's not at the same time of the recent release of jQuery because it's normal, because WordPress does it on purpose, because WordPress packages all together with all the most stable software that WordPress and its developers know will work with pretty much every plugins and themes. So that's why it does that. But this user needed the new version of WordPress to use Bootstrap 4 in its theme. So he asked uh, how to deregister the jQuery version. Of course, I showed him. And if it was a bad practice, because he saw, he did a research on Google and he saw some users and some other developers not recommending to deregister the built-in jQuery version of WordPress and in general, not deregister core functions of WordPress. This question comes from a small misunderstanding of the documentations of WordPress, because in the documentations that, that's written clearly do not deregister the built-in jQuery version of WordPress for the admin panel. And that's a pretty good warning because the admin panel WordPress relies on jQuery, relies on that specific uh, framework, that specific library, and also pretty much relies on that version of that library. So if you deregister it and you put your own version that could break the entire admin panel, you don't want that. But you can deregister jQuery or whatever other script only for the front end, not for the admin panel. And that's what you should do. So the issue with that is that sometimes other users or non-experienced developers um, put the WP deregister script jQuery outside any functions like generically like they put it they write it down in the functions.php not inside any methods not inside any hooks so they call it immediately and putting that script putting that deregister command outside anything, not calling it a specific time, uh, will cause the deregistration of, of jQuery everywhere in your WordPress installation, also in the admin panel. And that's the issue. Based on the documentation, you should use the deregister script only inside the enqueue script method, that method that you call um, when you want to register. Um, scripts and styles and CSS, JavaScript or whatever, you should call the deregister only when you use the WP in queue scripts because that hook, that function of WordPress that you're calling is called only for the front end. So it doesn't affect the back end. And that's a huge, huge recommendation that you should always follow and never do the opposite, never put the deregister stuff outside the enqueue scripts that you're calling to enqueue your scripts um, because you can literally break everything and you don't want to do that. So my two cents about this issue is that you can totally deregister scripts or deregister core functions or other uh, embedded or built-in scripts of WordPress for the front end if you need to use more updated versions. I do that all the time pretty much but be sure to follow the documentation and use those deregistration and use those updates only for your front end. You don't want to mess with the back end. You don't want to create issues because if the user has other plugins or has uh, other widgets or has other custom methods that you wrote or is extending your theme to write custom implementations and those sections that the user has in its own installation, his own installation of WordPress, rely on that specific version of jQuery of that specific core function that you want to deregister, you don't want to affect its backend. You don't want to affect his behavior. You don't want to affect his backend. You don't want to affect his administration area. That could be terrible for the user. And the first thing the user does if the user activates a plugin or a new theme and destroys completely his admin panel, the first thing will be pretty much removing your theme or your plugin because he will say, oh, this 
theme or plugin is garbage is destroying my admin area that worked perfectly until now so i'm not going to use this so be careful when you do these things always do it only for the front end and put a disclaimer on your theme just say hey my theme relies on the newest version of jquery so it's i'm forcing the, the registration of the built-in version if you have plugins that relies on that please be sure that everything is compatible um, i'm not responsible for anything like any data loss back up your stuff and stuff like that. Always talk to the user and be sure that everything works nicely and perfectly. And happy coding, I guess, or good luck with that. Um, but I guess it's pretty much about WordPress. We're gonna move on a more like broad uh, topic about coding, about PHP, and then we're gonna move to the uh, main topics and then your questions because I have a bunch of questions from you guys. So the next topic, the next topic is about PHP visual depth. And this is kind of an interesting topic because it shows how weirdly, <laughs> how weirdly uh, other developers or developers or people in general react on the web, like on the internet. So um, I don't know if you know Jeffrey Way, uh, Jeffrey Way is an online educator. He's the owner and creator of LyraCasts, and in my opinion, he's one of the best out there. Uh, his platform is amazing, and he's doing pretty much everything great. <laughs> I, it's just like I'm, I'm a huge fan of his work. I learned a lot from him, and uh, um, yeah, he's a great guy. You should definitely follow him. He's a really knowledgeable developer. It's it's amazing. His work is really amazing. Uh, he recently published um, a very interesting, um, non-strictly Laravel-related video tutorial about the PHP visual depth. The PHP visual depth, or in general, like coding or programming visual depth, it's something that happens when you start coding uh, something that is not really necessary for your code like you are you're building something and you start coding a portion of the your code like half of the scripts that you're building is just a repetition or you have multiple methods that they do the same time that, that do the same things but you change just a variable inside that method inside those methods so you have all these extra code that can be cleaned up and can be streamlined into way smaller sections, way smaller methods, and will remove the visual depth of your script. Because imagine if you're coding something and you end up with a script that works uh, of 200 lines of code. Then two months pass and you completely forgot what you did in that code and then you have to edit it. You have to fix something and you have no idea what the script does. You don't remember, so you have to read it again from the top. And reading 200 lines of code or whatever, how long is that, is really challenging, especially if you have to fix something quickly. And you will start questioning questioning your decision. You will start saying, hey, why the hell I wrote this and on the first place? Why I'm repeating this method five times instead of building something more modular, something more like universal that can be used and dynamically swap the variable and all this kind of stuff. So it, it's a really good point um, questioning yourself and questioning your visual depth saying like this file, is this file really readable? Will this file be readable in two, three months if I don't look at it every day? Or this is gonna be so heavy and so hard for me or another, or another developer to understand. So he did this video about visual depths. It's a three minutes video. If you're on LaraCast, you should totally check it because it's really insightful and describes a lot of interesting things. Um, in this video, he does a ruthless job of uh, cleaning up uh, a pretty small file, but it was just an example, of course. So what it does, uh, a PHP class has an interface that class method uses and the interface, it doesn't really bring any important information to the file or to the script itself. The script itself is so easy and so so streamlined that it's it's totally readable and understandable without having an interface that 
tells you or tells the script, tells the programmer how you should write a script. So it removes the interface, removes some list listeners, some fire methods, and uh, he removes some typings. So it removes the declarations of the variables of the method if the variable is a string or is a boolean or is an array or stuff like that. So he does all these things to streamline a lot the code and ends up with a really small version of the files that he started with that this file does exactly the same as the previous one that the one with the like a, the three times the amount of code um his example and that's the thing he it was just an example to show how easy it is to clean a file that can get out of hand pretty pretty quickly uh his example was I wouldn't say on the edge, I wouldn't say extreme, but it was just an example. It was just like showing a really simple code and the how was not necessary to have all these extra declarations if your code is that simple. Of course, like everything else on the web, it got taken um, on the, to the wrong way with the wrong approach and uh, people started like criticizing him and hating each other or if a developer was like oh yes I don't use typings or like yeah no I never understood the necessity of the interface uh, outrage oh no you're not a good developer oh no you're terrible and all this kind of like crazy stuff uh, it's really silly and I shouldn't spend too much time on this but it's it's really interesting how Everyone has his own personal opinion and that's totally fine, but it's terrible when you consider your opinion to be the absolute truth. And when someone proposes you a different approach, you're like, no, this is terrible. You're not a good developer. You're, I don't know, you're a disgrace for humanity and all this kind of stuff. He, uh, Jeffrey Way was forced to ratify or like write a sort of like, clarification on his about his video on like why he did it what what are the reasons and it looks so silly like it feels so silly that a developer that is doing a tutorial to show hey your code if it gets too long you could clean it up by removing some extra declarations or some repetitions that if your code doesn't need those things you can do it it's not wrong to remove type ins or uh, interfaces or um, whatever is not wrong to clean up your code and not follow the strict rules of some documentations or stuff like that if it works and it's easier to read go for it if you feel comfortable with that go for it but if not if you want to be strict and use like all those extra declarations that no no one will ever use just go for it as well just don't be forced to do something that you don't want and question everyone question yourself question even the person that is doing this video he's a really great guy and he was just like totally candid in his declaration in his explanation but i don't know people took it in a wrong way i guess um but what do you think like this is my kind of my questions for you uh do you think we should strictly follow documentations of the software. We should strictly follow the guidelines or like the common uh, con conception, like the common concept of every developer or like in general, like we should follow the common ground. Like everyone is doing that. So I guess you have to do that as well. You have to do it exactly like that or if your code is not wrong, you're not destroying a software, you're not creating any issue, you could go your way. If you think that your way it's kind of cleaner, easier to understand for you or another developer or the developers you work with, um, let me know what you think. I personally think it's in the middle. It's like if it works, it's written well, it's easily readable and is not a gigantic amount of code go for it like you don't have to oh no this code doesn't have type ins it's completely wrong oh no this code doesn't have an interface that declares how the class should have been written that's not important like it is important but it's not vital to your app i mean come on 
be reasonable, like be pragmatic and be be real. Use the logic, right? No, I guess I'm wrong as well. Let me know what you think anyway. I guess these are the main topics of this episode. We are at half an hour in already. Wow, talking a lot. I should start having a bottle of water when I record these things because my throat is starting to itch. But I'm gonna drink later because now it's time for questions. And I have questions for you grabbed from my forum, the forum that I told you at the beginning. But before going to the forum, and to your questions and to the main topic, let me tell you about a small thing called Patreon. If you don't know, I recently opened a Patreon page. And before you start buffing and just like getting annoyed and rolling your eyes and just like grabbing your earphones or headphones and throwing them on the ground and say, stupid Alex, you want our money? Let me tell you something. Yes, I want your money. No, it's not true. <laughs> no, I'm, j- I'm totally joking. So the Patreon page is just something that I decided to open uh, just because I want to see how far this thing can go. I'm doing this completely for free on the side over nights or over my weekends and I'm publishing videos, I'm publishing tutorials, I'm releasing all my code for free, I released AWPS, I will build some custom plugins, I will release everything for free on GitHub. So I'm starting to get some traction. We are at the community is at 30,000 subscribers on YouTube and it's, it's terrifying and amazing, exciting, all this kind of stuff. But I'm starting to get some serious tractions. And I wonder if I could actually turn this into a real job. I mean, can I turn this into something that I could do full time? Could I turn myself into a real full time online educator and just do this without actually doing anything else? So let's see. Uh, This is an experiment. If that happens, that I end up being able to sustain myself. I can slowly transition into being full-time and full-time online education would be at least one video per day, if not more. Uh, it would be online tutoring, would be um, an active community with code and video sharing for everyone to participate, would be me traveling around and coming to your town to do a free um, one-on-one coding session, free, I don't know, um, hackathon or tutorial session or, I don't know, two, three days of coding over the weekend all together in some sort of, like, I don't know, warehouse, whatever. That would mean, like, amazing achievements. Um, So that's why I decided to open a Patreon and see where this thing's going. Uh, You can pledge from $1 to up to $10. there are no special rewards for this. It's not that if you're a Patreon, you're going to get access to protected uh, or like reserved or only Patreon content. No, everything is going to be always completely free from everyone for everyone. The thing is that if you have questions, you have doubts uh, with a $10 reward, with a $10 pledge, you're going to have the ability to ask questions that I will answer um, first on these very own podcast, the Nerd Continuity. Um, the last pledge is the most expensive one and is the $50 pledge. And this is specifically for people that needs private tutoring. So I have three open positions for that, for the private tutoring. And if you pledge $50 for one month, you will have a two hours session Per month, if you do more months, you're going to have two hours per month every month where we can video chat directly on Skype or Hangouts, but it's going to be just me and you for two hours coding together if you have any issue or whatever. And for the entirety of the month, you will be added to my private Slack channel. If you don't know Slack, it's a messaging platform and I'm on Slack pretty much every day for work. I have my own private channel and right now there are like zero people on that or probably just one. So if you're part of this, you're going to be in Slack and every time you send me a message, I will be 
getting notified on my phone directly. I can, we can chat overnight or whenever I'm awake, we can chat many, many hours. Um, basically this reward that it's, it's kind of expensive. I know 50 bucks, $50 is not affordable for everyone, but if you're a professional that has a deadline and you have coding issues and you have an application that doesn't work and I can help you, I will do it and I will help you figure it out. If you're a student, then you need to graduate or you have an exam that it's really complicated and you don't understand anything, what the professor is saying and you need some tutoring, this is for you, this is the package for you. And of course, if, if you sign up to the private tutoring, you pay $50 and it turns out that I, I cannot help you because I don't know the answer to your question, I don't know how it is, I don't know how to help you, you will be 100% refunded. I, I will not hold on your $50 if I cannot actually do the two-hour session or help you solve your problem. So these are your options. So um, jump on that if you want. And um, hopefully you're going to get a Patreon. You're going to be my Patreon. It's going to be awesome. But anyway... Let's move to the questions. So first question is from uh, Jew Max. The, he wrote it on the forum, uh, forum.alicat.com. He wrote, I'm curious to know what you think about name conventions uh, for CSS development, like BEM, Atomic, and so on. Have you ever used one of these? What's your favorite if you have one and which do you recommend? So um, naming conventions for CSS are a kind of a common thing when you have a CSS framework or you're building your own CSS framework. And it's a way to keep your code really well structured, especially, of course, the CSS and your um, uh, library kind of modular. So it's easier by looking, just looking at the name of the code uh, of the name of the class, of the name of the declaration, um, it's easier to understand what that declaration is, what that declaration does, and how it works. A really simple example of a modular naming convention is uh, using the actual name of what you're styling. So for example, if you're styling a post or a title or a tab, you're gonna write the class of that CSS post or dot title or dot tab. And then if you add some um, modifiers, some extra status, you can write, for example, tab and then dot is selected or dot is hovered um, and stuff like that, or uh, uh, is hidden, or um, if you have a class that declares um, that an element is inline block, like display inline block, you're gonna call that class inline block. That is the most obvious example. I use some sort of these conventions in my AWPS CSS grid, the SCSS grid that I customly created. I use like MT0 to declare margin top zero, margin top one, margin top two, and so on. PD like PB like padding bottom, dash one, dash two for 10 pixel, 20 pixel, and so on. Text center, text right, text left, and blah, blah, blah. There are some more advanced um, kind of like modular naming conventions like BEM and Atomic, like Jumax said. They're kind of like harder on the eyes, especially for a new... Um, a fresh developer, for example, if you have um, a menu, you're going to have a class name uh, that is called menu and that's called like the component, like the main component name has a class called dot menu. Then if you have a link inside the menu, that class, the class of the link will be menu double underscore link because that is a sort of um, inside. So it's a secondary, not a secondary, it's like... Um, a child element of that menu component. Um, and then if you have um, a variation or um, 
a change, a small change to that child component, this example menu underscore underscore link, you will call it with a double dash. So for example, we have the menu with a class menu, the link with a class menu underscore underscore link, and then we have the featured link of that menu that has a class of menu underscore underscore link dash dash future it. And if the menu is active, it's going to have the class menu underscore underscore link dash dash active and so on, so on. So that's, that's the thing, like it can get out of hand, like really easily out of hand. And um, I don't know, I don't have a real like strict take on that. Especially because if you if you take a look at my uh, CSS grid or my SCSS library on AWPS, you you can know like you will notice how I like to structure specific methods or child theme parents relationship between classes declaration. Uh, I tend to be um, sem as semantic as possible, so declaring the actual name of the object that I'm doing, and if um, modifier is doing something unique, I will call that class with the same attribute that I'm applying to the modifier. So if I have a modifier that the only thing that does applies a position absolute, my class is going to be called dot absolute or dot position absolute, stuff like that. The BEM naming, it's, it's good, I guess, but it tends to be kind of long, like having a really long uh, CSS name is never was never my favorite and has never been my favorite approach but it's really personal like I don't have anything against it but I don't have anything um, even like use it you have to use it absolutely you can totally use it as you feel like it the only recommendation that I would give you is to don't like don't go dark, like don't go too strict, dark and too personal, too customized for yourself or your needs. Try to be broad and like globally understandable. If you have to create a code, imagine always that the next developer that will work in your code or with your code is a murderous, uh, crazy psychopath that knows where you live. So never create something to too weird or that you can only understand and only you because otherwise you risk to get killed and chased to death by the next developer that will work on your code so always be thoughtful of the next developer uh, be kind but yes uh, naming conventions is definitely helpful because it, it's easier like having css declarations and classes that are uh, semantically easy to understand and you can oh this probably does this thing, um, it's way easier for everyone to read it, but uh, you don't have to strictly follow those rules if you feel uncomfortable and you can find your own variation. It's not that your code is gonna break, but always, yes, be thoughtful if your code collaborating with someone or someone will need to update your code, just write something that is not too hard to understand. And if you wanna use a globally understandable convention like BEM or Atomic or sometimes of naming that uh, it's already been uh, tested and everyone uses it, go for it if you feel comfortable with that. So definitely do it, but be kind to everyone else, I guess. Okay, that's it. Um, and we are finally at the main topic of this episode. Uh, after 46 minutes of uh, shenanigans and talking about nonsense, we're finally at the main topic. The main topic, as I said at the beginning, is uh, how to deal with tough clients. And um, the question comes from Bambule, that it's an uh, active user and a moderator also on my forum. And the question is, I would love to hear you talking about how you deal with special quote-unquote customers. For example, if a customer wants some weird stuff like a layout that is very hard to transfer to mobile, or in general something that is just outdated, not in a way of technology, but like you just don't do it that way nowadays, you do something like different, uh, when would you tell him 
that others ways uh what other ways are better more modern etc or is the customer always the king is the customer always right um or in a more general way do you try to fit the customer or do you try to make the customer fit you this is a really good question and this is pretty much the struggle that every designer and developer will have for the rest of their lives. So uh, get used to it because it will never go away. Uh, even when you do your own application, you design something for yourself, you're gonna be your worst nightmare, your worst client, because you're gonna be your special customer that wants weird stuff and you have to build it for yourself. So that's terrible. But anyway, I had many, many experience with these uh, customers, especially um, old customers. Like if you're developing a website for, uh, um, I wouldn't say outdated, but a kind of like a standard type of business that is not like an internet-based business, but it's a regular street-level business. <laughs> that sounds really bad, street-level business. But you know what I mean, like a regular business, like a, a coffee shop or... Um, I don't know, a bank or a finance a finance institution, something that is not strictly related uh, to uh, the web or is not, probably not caught up with the latest technologies and latest trends. That's totally normal having a client asking for weird stuff that probably he saw um, on a website many, many years ago and felt in love with it or probably... Um, I don't know, a parent or relatives or someone or sometimes the son or the cousin has oh, like, I really like this. Can you do it on your website? Because my, my daughter loves it. Stuff like that. I had once uh, a client having uh, his son, his uh, eight years old son, uh, drawing the, the logo in a funny way. And the client wanted the logo as a background that like that drawing of the logo as a background of the entire website and that was terrible because i was forced to do it i ended up doing it and it destroyed the visual appeal of the website but the client was really happy because his song was really happy it doesn't matter if it was like destroying the i don't know the ui of the website the client was really that so like long story short you have to pick your battles. Like the, the short answer is like, you have to pick your battles. Uh, you have to see if a request from the client, it's something that he really cares about or he's something that it's something that he saw and he wants to try, but he's not sure. If you feel like it is not sure and he said like, oh, maybe, uh, what if this, because I saw it once, it looked cool, what do you think? If you have that appeal, go for it and quote-unquote fight. Don't fight it for real, but fight the client back and say, eh, no, this is not really recommended for web standards and for many all these other many reasons. Like, Be really eloquent and try to explain to him why it's a bad decision. But if the client is really passionate about something, if it's something personal, you have to play his game and try to adapt his idea inside your work and make it work, make it doable. So for the history of the, 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 the story that I told you about the logo draw by his 10 years old, I ended up, instead of having the logo repeated as a background in the entire website, I asked him, can I put it? Yes, but on the top right, where like I was able to find a blank space in a big screen so can we put it there so it's it looks like a sort of like stamp uh, a background or a stamp of approval of your logo as a background on a piece of paper underneath the actual ui so it's not in your face but it's there it's visible but it's not a repeated background of this kind of badly created <laughs> like it wasn't that great i mean it was like his song was eight years old how good can an eight years old draw i mean come on so i i got a compromise like oh he really really wants it but i don't want to destroy my design so let's find a middle ground let's find a solution and that's perfect um so you have pretty much yeah you have to find 
and you have to design which battles you want to pick like pick your battles don't destroy your energy on every uh, every opportunity especially if the client keeps asking for weird stuff you cannot always say no because if you always say no to everything the the client will see that as uh oh this guy doesn't want to do what i want so i'm gonna not be satisfied with the work i'm gonna change it i'm gonna again pick another guy but you cannot say always yes either otherwise the client will feel like oh this guy always say yes it means that my ideas are great i can do whatever you want i can ask for whatever i want and you will get like terrible terrible uh requests the day before launching the website those crazy stories like that so you have to pick your battle you have to find a balance of saying um i wouldn't recommend this because it goes against this or you could create these issues try to be really explain the real reason and show them examples of like oh you have you're asking for this you know that these requests or this type of approach was once used by this website and they saw a drop in uh, purchasing by 50 percent or like do your research uh if the client comes with a really crazy idea and you don't know how to answer say okay let's uh let me write that down i'm gonna do some research and see if it's doable and i'm gonna come back to you in a couple of hours or can we reschedule the meeting for tomorrow so i can elaborate your request and see if it's possible try always to work the middle ground and try to accept the client's suggestions and rework it for your needs and stuff like that but before all of this there's i noticed that in many many years of experience in almost 13 years of web development and web design that i have uh, i noticed that to avoid these issues and to or not completely avoid it but to avoid like a majority of these experiences that are pretty terrible um you can do it you can avoid this stuff by approaching the client for the first time with a mood board a mood board it's something that you build with the client to try to identify his taste what he likes what he wants and what is good for you as a developer or as a designer so a mood board could be simply i don't know a really like a page on a website with 25 different colors images and text and has the client pick the three best one that you like pick one two three okay so you can identify what the client sees as good and what's what's dr driving the client towards those colors and you can implement those things in your design or your development um, show the clients some examples of websites um, that you think will fit his needs try to not show the client websites of its competitors because one of the main problems about this particular clients is when they see someone else that is a competitor and did a website or oh, i want that website like that guy i want that i like that i want that that is the worst thing and the first thing that you have to do you have to explain your client don't look at your competitors because you don't want to be similar to your competitors you want to be more that your competitors you want to be above them extra so if you copy from your competitors you will be a copycat you won't be original you want to be original you don't want to be just another version of that oh this website what if a user that is trying to design between you and your competitors sees the competitor's website first then goes to your website and says oh this is similar to the other one I guess the other one is better because I saw it first. So this one is coping for the other one. So try to not manipulate the client, but let him understand how the internet works. And um, that's the thing, like use a mood board, show them examples, show them uh, prototypes, do a lot of prototypes. And um, the final, and I think most important recommendation is let them sign a contract every time they approve something so um, if you show them a mock-up of a website and of their website and say yes i love it okay can you sign it your signature is like a stamp of approval so if after they approve it two weeks pass you're working on a website and it comes back 
and he says, um, I don't like it anymore. I want it completely different. Uh, you have his signature. And you can say, uh, I cannot do it. I'm sorry, this is approved. I'm working on it. It's going to be ready soon. If you want to change it completely, we can stop. We have to recalculate the budget because you changed your mind. You signed this document. So this document is legit. <laughs> it's a legally bounding document. And if you want to change it, we can totally do it. But we have to re-elaborate and recalculate new budget, new timeline, and all this kind of stuff. So always, every step of the way, has the client to sign decision that he makes. Can you sign off this thing that you said that you approve this design, you approve these pictures, you approve this layout, so sign, 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 because they can change their mind. Everyone changes their mind. It's not the clients are crazy. Everyone does that, even you as a developer or as a designer, while you design or while you develop, you're developing something, you can change your mind because it's normal, it's human, but you have to protect yourself. But yeah, anyway, these are my recommendations. So um, the crazy stories, one of was the one from like with the logo of the 80 years old son. It was terrible. The other one was um, a client that saw uh, a really old website that I did. Like I was back in Italy. This was like, I guess, seven years ago, six years ago, even more, I guess. I think eight years ago. Oh my God, so long ago. I'm so old. Anyway, I was back in Italy. I did a website for a company where there was this uh, Flash. Flash was still a thing, so I guess it was even before. Uh, with this Flash carousel with all these cars uh, going around in circle and the, um, the speed of the carousel was at the same pace at the Mozart, like the, 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 a song of Mozart, like a Mozart song, a classical song that it was like, that. it was really cheesy and not, not the best, but it was, Hey, it was many, many years ago. We still, we didn't have standards like web standards. Everything was based on flash. So you were able to do literally everything. It was, everything was terrible and everything was gross. But yeah, we had this carousel of these cars and all these cars were services. You were able to click and the car was flipping and opening and showing the content. It was like really awful. Um, many years I've had like in that two, three years and Apple started spitting and destroying flash um the support for flash was getting dropped by pretty much everyone on every front so all the websites started transitioning from flash to standard html with css transitions and all these new early stuff so also our website the website that i built previously was getting updated this new client comes in and says oh i won this website and he opens a file, like a flash file that he downloaded online. And it was my website that I built two years previously. And I saw it and I said, uh, I built this like three years ago. And he's, he goes with like, oh, that's great. So can you just update the logo, change the pictures? And can we have it as a website? And I'm like, uh, no, you can't. <laughs> uh, first, like, it's a really old website and it's based on Flash. Flash in a updated technology. You shouldn't use Flash and uh, will create issues. And also is a previous design for a old client that if I don't want to really show him that I'm a developer that recycle designs and reuses the same designs years after it. And that was a terrible, terrible thing because this client was obsessed by that design. We spent three months doing design iterations and every time he thought he was smart. Every time he was trying to suggest solutions or approaches to move the design towards the direction of getting that terrible carousel with cars and the Mozart ballet song as a background. He was like every meeting, every design review, he was trying to manipulate this. Oh yeah, this is great. But what if we put like a floating element here that maybe moves a little bit 
to the right and to the left and follows a song like he was trying to like push it that way I was like are you referring to my old design the Mozart carousel oh yes that one I forgot about that I really like that can we have it like it was like that every time for months and months and at the end of the story I talked to my boss I was really young at that age I talked to my boss and I said we should say no we should drop this this work and he said no are you crazy this is an important client he's paying us a lot of money to do this uh these designs this website we have to keep it he's gonna bring us way more work i was like yes but if this is the premise that we're starting our collaboration it's gonna be awful we cannot accept he suggests he's not willing to change his mind he's not willing to understand our very important technical reasons of why we should not do this and he's not willing to question his own decision and question his own approach and uh, we should like is the only thing that he's gonna bring us is painful hours of working on the same things for many many times for many many hours it's like okay it's gonna bring us money but instead of spending three months on one design for this client that it still doesn't approve it still doesn't like because he wants that old one we could have spent time with five other different clients doing five other different designs and get way more money instead of sticking with this one and unfortunately my boss uh, decided to stay with him and accept his suggestion we released an updated version of the carousel that of course no one was able to access on uh, uh, google chrome was getting terrible like i don't know these flash things it takes a lot time a long time to load uh accessing from phone it was um, not a thing <laughs> um and all these stupid things like many many issues so we spend so much time in trying to uh make it work and make it fit and at the end we weren't even able to show that website in our portfolio because it was a it was a ripped off it was a rip off of an old design so that happened in my case my opinion if i was in charge if i i was the boss i would have said okay i'm sorry but our collaboration cannot go with that and i would have suggested another agency oh these guys are better than us are really good they can do that for you if you want and that's it and i would have uh focused on other clients something else that we lost clients in that time because we were too busy in dealing with that stupid thing um so sometimes you have to understand when you have to drop a battle and say i cannot do this i'm sorry i'm sorry it's for my own sake it's for my own mental health i cannot do this it sometimes happens it's not it's not a bad thing like the word is so big that one bad client or a couple of bad clients that they don't like you will not destroy your reputation of course if you work on a desert island and you have just five clients and those are all the people in your area and you can work only with them don't do it just of course but if you have a broad audience you try to expand if you want to grow if you want to do more things don't 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 stay sticked in the mud with a terrible client just because the right way to do is like it's that's what you gotta do no you can say no you can say hey no that's this is not how it works i'm sorry if you want a good thing you should trust me you should listen to me so i guess this is the answer i think i gave you like twenty thousand different answers and not a definitive one i'm a master of that i'm a master of not giving definitive answers that's why i'm good with clients because i never give them definitive answers that's the trick that's the solution but anyway also for this episode it's pretty much it thank you so much guys for checking this podcast if you're on uh, itunes if you're on a uh, whatever 
podcast application you're listening to this if you're watching this on youtube thank you so much please give it a like or subscribe to my youtube channel in the description of this podcast of this episode you can find the links to my forum please subscribe and ask your questions you can find the link to my patreon page if you want to support me just become a patreon it will be it will mean like so much for me so let's see if i can turn this into a profitable thing and um that's pretty much it you can follow me on twitter at alicad or you can follow my blog alicad.com follow me on my facebook page alicad page as well like everything is just alicad with 3d it's just terrible i don't have any branded entity that is not alicad i'm just identical everywhere but i guess that's good because it's easier to find me if i want to be found but anyway thank you so much for listening to my shenanigans also for this episode and until the next one uh, enjoy your life and uh, do some nerdy things have a good design happy coding and uh, talk to you in the next one see ya